How can believers maintain an attitude of hopefulness in life? The pressure is on people uh, in terms of marriages, family, uh, their economic situation, and it is a struggle to keep hopeful. And I see the life and vitality of a lot of Christians just being drained out of them. Plus, how do we encourage our pastors? It is rough out there. The pastor goes to church where he works. So it makes it a difficult task. So people showing that appreciation uh, really speaks loudly. It's encouraging and it does help. It's the weekend of October 7th and 8th. I'm Jeff Shambly and this is The Stand Radio. First up, maintaining our hope. It was Martin Lloyd-Jones in his sermons on spiritual depression who said hopelessness goes all the way back to the days of the Bible. In Psalm 42, for example, we read, Why are you downcast, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? I think we all deal with feelings like that. Well, in this month's issue of The Stand magazine, Ed Vitagliano, AFA's executive vice president, has written an outstanding article entitled The Battle for Hope. He's joining us now to help us walk through that issue. Ed, thanks for joining us today. Absolutely. Good to be here. Now, why did you call it a battle for hope? Well, I think it's always been the case, as you pointed out, that uh, God's people, all people, but of course the Bible especially addresses God's people, uh, have struggled with the circumstances of life. And we'll get into that a little bit more, but yeah. I see people so frequently nowadays because the pressure is on people uh, in terms of marriages, family, uh, their economic situation, as well as the typical spiritual warfare that Christians are always engulfed in. And it is warfare. And it is a, it is a struggle to keep hopeful. And the circumstances seem to be warring against that. And I see the, the, the life and vitality of a lot of Christians just being drained out of them. Mm. And they wonder if they're going to make it. And I, I see a lot of that. So the, the, the idea for the, the title of the article came from the biblical yeah. passage I was choosing, but it, it could be drawn from the experiences of Christians today and over thousands of years. The term hope is used in a lot of different ways, and the world certainly has its definition of that. What is your definition for hope in terms of this article? Yeah, I, I always try to go right to uh, concordances and Bible dictionaries to find out what the Bible means because, as you mentioned, people use the word hope as a synonym for wish. Uh, are you going on vacation this year? Well, I hope so. Yeah. That's more of a, I, I'm wishing that these things might be true, but I don't really know. The mm -hmm. Bible talks about hope as expectancy, as something that uh, we believe is going to happen, and therefore we're looking forward to it with expectancy. I use the example uh, of when I was a young boy and uh, growing up in New England, and my parents would tell me that my grandparents were coming to visit. 
And I always loved family, and uh, it was a thrill for my gr- to be told my grandparents are coming to visit that day. Now, that had nothing to do with the fact that they always stopped off at Dunkin' Donuts to bring <laughs> donuts for the, for the grandkids. Nothing, nothing to do with that. Yeah, but yeah. just as so, I would – we had a bay window in our dining room, and I would sit in that bay window and look down the street for – the little intersection where their car, which I would recognize, turned the corner. I believed what I was told, and I watched expectantly for them to come. That Mm. is more along the line of the biblical definition of hope. I wouldn't – I'd just wake up on a Saturday morning and say, gee, I wish my grandparents would come to visit. Because of what I was told, I was expecting it. And and that's what the Bible talks about when it defines – when it uses the word hope. In this battle for hope, uh, you know, there are things within our own minds and our own lives that that well up within us. But the Bible says we are also dealing with the world and we're dealing with the flesh and an enemy, the accuser, the devil. What role does our accuser play in the battle for hope? Well, part of the issue with hope is it is tied somewhat to our emotional existence and not in a bad way. We're emotional creatures. So that expectancy can begin to erode over time. So we're, we're maybe expecting God to do something for us. Uh, and, and first, we're excited about that. And then as time goes on and circumstances seem to indicate that maybe the answer we wanted isn't coming or it isn't coming for a while, uh, hope can begin to uh, drain out of our lives. The devil is always an opportunist, Hmm. and the devil will harass Christians. The devil will accuse them and say, well, your answer hasn't come because you're a bad Christian or because you've sinned or God doesn't love you. Um, And and so the enemy will kind of uh, attach himself a lot of times to a Christian who is going through this battle and oftentimes other battles as well because the Christian has other people around him, maybe family members, maybe a spouse that's also struggling. In, in the same area. And so the devil will come in to try to um, uh, to pummel the Christian mm. and savage the Christian so that uh, all hope and faith kind of crumble at, at the same time. You say in your article, um, The Battle for Hope, that the ally of hope is faith. What do you mean by that? Well, uh, the reason hope needs an ally is because hope – I don't think hope can be the foundation for uh, the Christian struggle. Okay. Faith is always – in fact, the Bible says uh, in that famous New Testament passage in Hebrews 11, 1, that mm-hmm. faith is the assurance of things hoped for. And that word assurance means foundation. It means substance. Okay. And so the foundation of hope, the foundation of expectancy – is faith in God. And um, it's uh, I go, go back to the example uh, uh, of my grandparents coming. Um, if my parents told me they were coming, but they had told me that many times before, hmm. um, my assurance might waver when they said it. If my grandparents told me, if they called up and said, we're coming, hmm. and they always – kept their promises, my faith might be a little bit stronger. And that's a, that's a simplistic uh, example, but faith in God becomes 
the assurance of the things we hope for because the root of our experience is our relationship with God, and it is a relationship of faith. Everything is based Mm. on believing what God has told us, and especially if there are promises attached, um, it, it helps us to say and to understand and believe, God said he would never leave me or forsake me. I'm not quite sure how this is all going to play out, but I know God said that, and I can believe that that helps my hope stay alive. So when hope begins to waver somewhat and begins to weaken, fear oftentimes will creep in, anxiety will creep in, uh, feelings of unworthiness, all those kinds of things, um, hope can stand if faith is speaking to the hope and saying, God will not fail you, that strengthens our, our hope in trials. That kind of faith, Ed, uh, is not only pointing, it sounds like, to the written word of God, but you're also looking at the character of God, or the written promises, I should say. You're looking at the character of God to depend upon. And that seems to be one of the ways that Satan has, gets us to doubt the, the goodness of God. And so that we don't depend on him. Yeah, absolutely. And when you earlier referred to the devil, which the Bible does, as the accuser, um, the, the word uh, devil means slanderer. Hmm. So the devil is an accuser. He is a slanderer. Well, who ultimately is he slandering? We see this in the Garden of Eden where the devil's temptation was rooted in a slander of God's character. He said – he told Eve – God does not want you to be like him. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm, this is an, an parenthetical yeah. to what he was saying. He said, but God knows that if you will eat this fruit, you'll become like him. And guess what? God doesn't want you to be like him, knowing good from evil. He was implying a, and slandering God's character. And this happens throughout the Bible. So when I was uh, pastoring, I would tell people in the church, when I would preach on this subject, I would say, the devil doesn't care about your money. The devil cares about your faith. And if he can get to your faith through your finances, if he can convince you that God does not love you, that God does not keep his promises, that God will not care for you, you cannot cast your burdens on God because he doesn't care for you. If the devil can get you to that point, he has used your finances to accomplish what he wants. And and we see the devil try to use sickness or the death of a loved one or you don't get a promotion, you were counting on that. The devil doesn't technically care about those circumstances. He only cares about the impact he can put on your life by attacking those areas. Speaking of circumstances, you write in the article, your circumstances are not just about you. What do you mean there? Well, the the uh, the article was based on the story of uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth out of Luke chapter one, and the shame and disappointment they both felt by not having children. And uh, through the course of their lives, and as they prayed, God had something else going on in the background. There was a time element mm-hmm. because the shame and disappointment of Zechariah and Elizabeth in not having a child, their prayers were going to be answered and their child was going to be the forerunner. John the Baptist was going to be the forerunner for the Messiah. So there was a timeline for God and he used their shame and their pain. I don't know whether it deepened their prayers. I I don't know. But uh, in due time, uh, 
the Messiah came. That's what the Bible says at the fullness of time. Okay, mm-hmm. Galatians 4, 4, Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. Well, if Jesus was born in the fullness of time, that means so was John the Baptist. <laughs> and that means if he was born in the, at the right exact time, then the suffering of Zechariah and Elizabeth was in God's will. And it was a perfect length of time. And so I, I made that comment that your circumstances are not just about you. If you're Zechariah and Elizabeth, you think it's all about we want a child. But God was – I don't know whether God spoke this to them or we just read back into the Scripture. But I guess if God could speak to them, they would say he would say to them, um, your suffering helps birth the forerunner of the Messiah, and that is – affecting the whole world. And a lot of times our circumstances, other people might be watching our Mm -hmm. battle. Uh, Other people might be affected by the answer when it comes. Who knows how many people that testimony will affect. And this is is such a hard lesson to learn, and it's even harder to preach it and then know that one day you're going to have to live it. But our circumstances affect other people and help to conform us to the image of Christ. But if God could ask us, what if I told you that your suffering is going to be used to help somebody else? Are you willing to go through the suffering? I think most Christians would say, okay, I will trust you to bring good out of this situation and not just for me, but for other people around me. So that's that's why I said that the, the I use the example of scaffolding around a building. Um, the scaffolding, are, uh, that, that's the circumstances of our lives, but the real building mm-hmm. is us being conformed to the image of Christ. Wow. And um, God uses those circumstances. A lot of times all we focus on is the scaffolding. That's what we see. That's what impacts us emotionally um, when we are in the midst of it. Last question, Ed. Uh, as a pastor and, and a man who stands up and speaks to people from the scriptures a lot, uh, I would imagine that you've preached to yourself many times. How do you handle it personally when you you believe that your hope is being uh, squelched and pressed down by circumstances? Well, I absolutely have been. I've experienced very dark times, you know, spiritually going through crises. I'm not alone. Everybody has that. And the fact that I was a pastor didn't change anything. Yeah. You get no bonus points. You don't, God doesn't cut you any slack uh, just because of your calling. So the only thing that I have been able to do, I, I will admit, my wife and I have gone through times. I talk to her a lot. I've found it difficult to talk to other ministers when I've gone through these dark times. I, I personally find it very difficult to open up about things that are, you know, that deep inside. And, um, you know, when I'm having struggles even believing, you know, there's been times when I've struggled to believe that God was real, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, uh, what I what I try to do is I— when I'm in that deep of a struggle, and that's happened on just a couple of occasions, um, I remind myself of the things that are core convictions 
that I, I know God absolutely is real. I think mm-hmm. about the existence of the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think about the resurrection. I think about the fact that the word of God makes the most sense to me in its descriptions of human nature and circumstances. All those kind of things, I've kind of reestablished those foundational ideas. I, I remember the change that happened in me when yeah. I became born again. And yeah. I, I said, I wasn't looking for God. This happened to me. Mm-hmm. And then for those other struggles that are difficult but not uh, kind of existential, um, I go back to spending time and more time in prayer, reading the word, reading the word, reading the word, yeah, yeah. Uh, and I let go of things I might enjoy because uh, there is a deeper issue going on in my life, and I just return to the basics uh, to try to shore up the, uh, the the places that are are growing weak under the assault of circumstances in the enemy. Once again, the title of the article is The Battle for Hope When Difficult Circumstances Just Won't Let Go. Ed Vitagliano, thanks so much for stopping by. Absolutely, today. my pleasure. Up next, showing appreciation for our pastors. The Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Thessalonians said, But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instruction and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. That is so important that we do that. My guest for this next segment is Pastor Bert Harper. You hear him daily on American Family Radio on the program Exploring the Word with Alex McFarland, and you hear him weekends on the program uh, Exploring Missions. Brother Bert, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jeff. It's good to be with you, brother. Well, how important is it for a pastor that a church show them how much they're valued? Well, let me share with you. Since they started Pastor Appreciation Month, if you don't show that appreciation, it really <laughs> sends a signal. Okay. But let's let's say it is encouraging. It does help because it is rough out there. The pastor goes to church where he works. So he can't <laughs> separate his work from his worship. And that's wow. that's difficult and uh for I, I guess all you know, ministers on a staff because when they go to church, they're there to work and do their job, whether it's leading the music, whether it's preaching a sermon, whatever it may be. So it makes it a, a difficult task. So people showing that appreciation uh, really speaks loudly. It's encouraging, and it does help. Mm. Well, you know a list of things that can be done. There's a website that's in the October issue of The Stand, blessyourpastor.org, and they have a number of things that can be done for pastors. What are some of those things? Well, listen, praying for him is so good, and pray for his family. Don't exclude his wife and children when you pray. Okay. Uh, So what happens, the people on the platform get the notoriety, and many times they put them together. And, and that's right, they serve as a staff. But each one of those men and sometimes women in a, you know, in a, a lot, they lead in music, they yeah. have their own families, right. associate the person with their family first and then with a staff. Families should become first. As okay. I say, 
when I'm no longer in pastoring, I still have Jan as my wife, yep. and she is a priority. So appreciate them. I went over this list, and I highlighted all the things that people had done for yeah. us, yeah. and it was about two-thirds of them. We've experienced those positive things mm-hmm. from a gift card uh, to uh, a s- tickets to a sports event, you okay. know, somebody coming over and doing my lawn while I was out a week at a revival and come home and it be mm-hmm. mowed. Uh, those are great things. Find opportunities, and that's a good list. Yeah. Uh, the list, once again, is blessyourpastor.org. We'll put that link on our podcast page. Uh, what is the most meaningful expression, if you had to name one, the most meaningful expression that a church could show to its pastor? I would say handwritten notes. Hmm. Uh, I was looking over this the other day when I'd spent 25 years at the last church I was at. Uh, They got an album, and they wrote notes all the way from the in the preschool, the children, uh, even some adults. And now those preschool kids... uh, (laughs) They're amazing. One of them is your daughter-in-law that would write me a okay. uh, right. a card uh, and note of appreciation, Jeff. And I went over that list, and I said, man, what a blessing. You tend to keep those with you. The uh, gift card is appreciated, but I, I'm not saying it's forgotten, but you can't take it with you. But okay. those notes, man, they were a blessing then. And they're a blessing now. Because they have to take time to do that. They do. It's better than emailing. It's yeah. better than texting. That handwritten note speaks clearly and loudly. You and your wife, Jan, host a fishbowl pastor and wife retreat every year. Tell me about that experience, and what are you hearing from pastors that you encounter? Pastors are discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's more discouragement than they are discarding and going their way. There are some, and it's happening. But okay. a lot of churches are also closing. A lot of churches are are closing their doors because of of all the difficulties. And I was talking to a pastor today. He said, I have about 15 members after COVID, and he had twice that many before the small church, of course. And uh, so pastors are really discouraged, and the retreat is there to encourage them in their family more than anything else. That's the reason the retreat was started. Jan and I saw the need in pastors, especially young pastors and wives that we started. And when we came to AFA, uh, Tim said, why don't you keep on doing the fishbowl but expand it? How many pastors do you have there? Uh, this year we have 24. We had a small area okay. uh, out in Glen Rose. We were going to have about 40, but they had a fire. Mm-hmm. But in place of going somewhere else, we said, we'll, we'll just fill you up because uh, these conference centers has difficult times too. A lot of them had difficulty overcoming COVID because they didn't get to operate for a year, you know, because everything was closed down. So we want to bless them by our, our attendance there. And uh, Jan and I will pour mm-hmm. into them and share with them, and we've been doing this for years. And people still come and say, man, that week really helped us grow, and we established friendships that we still have today that encourage us. How difficult is it because of COVID and, and these days, even as far removed as we are from the original lockdown? Is it still an issue? It's still an issue. A lot of churches have not overcome, but i tell you one advantage Two of them, really. It caused us to look at what was really important. Mm. In other words, we do a lot of stuff that maybe not being making Jesus known Mm -hmm. and knowing him better, Mm -hmm. but when it got down to it, we need to know him and make him known, 
and it, and then live streaming. A lot of churches that were not available, they're there now. Is that cutting down on their attendance? Well, it may be cutting down on attendance with some people, but it's still the gospel going out. It's kind of like yeah. Paul said in Philippians, I praise the Lord that the gospel <laughs> is shared, and that's yeah. what I do as well. Let's talk about the pastor's wife for just a moment. A lot of times she's behind the scenes, but she's also very important to the ministry of her husband also, isn't she? Listen, uh, I'm a living testimony of the wife being the person that has helped me. Uh, Jan has just helped me I so much. When God called me to preach, um, you're talking about backward in so many ways, socially, grammatically, and 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 Jan was able to help me in that way to mm-hmm. speak and say, Bert, that's not that's not exactly how you say that word, and <laughs> and it helped me. But the encouragement she gives, and uh, people can say, man, that was a good sermon. But when my wife says that was an excellent sermon, good, I want to tell you, I uh, my elevation of appreciation and love goes up really, really mm-hmm. well. Uh, hmm. The pastor's wife, take care of her. It's hard to play second fiddle well. And uh, sometimes the pastor gets a lot of that recognition, but I want to tell you, uh, most of the time, the wife is the one that is there encouraging and sharing. And like they say, uh, pastors that are listening, uh, when you get to the point where you can no longer pastor, it's not them that's going to come over and help you. It's that wife that God gave you early on. And uh, let's take care of them. I, I haven't done as well as I wish I have, but I sure appreciate her more than I can ever tell. In Pastor Appreciation Month, in the month of October, is it also appropriate to show appreciation to a pastor's wife? Let me tell you, <laughs> if you don't, uh, you're missing the mark. <laughs> okay. uh, listen, uh, they are so important, and uh, okay. show them, love them, write her a note. <clears throat> Uh, take her out. Some of the ladies in the church, uh, take her out and get her nails done. I mean, yeah, I, yeah. now I, I, I would hesitate to do that for you, Pastor, but do it for his wife and take care of those kids too. Listen, we raised three boys, and I hate to say this, Jeff, they were a lot like their dad. In other words, they were hyper and loud. And uh, listen, when they would be raw, you know, running down the hall like boys are going to run, I don't care where they are, they're going to run. They just made that way to run. And uh, there'll be three of them, and somebody will not want them to run, and they'll call the pastor's name, boy's name out because they know his name. You know, sure, they sure. may not know the others, but it makes that son feel like, well, they're always watching me. And it's hard raising your children with everybody watching, mm-hmm. but they're watching the pastor's family. Yeah. And uh, so it's hard. So love those kids. Love them. Care for them. Let them know. My, my boys, all three of them, when we talk about the families that blessed us during our time with them being home, all three of them named the same families. Hmm. They're the ones they knew they were loved and cared for by those people just because of who they were, not because of anything else. Pastor Bert Harper has been our guest, exploring the Word every weekday here on AFR and weekends exploring missions. Pastor Bert, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you, Jeff. Coming up next week, what's the best way to redeem our time, prioritize home life, and disciple our children? We'll talk about it with Abraham Hamilton III. Then we'll learn how easy it is to influence the lawmakers who represent us in Washington. We'll hear from iVoterGuide President Debbie Wuthnow. Today's program is just a sample of what you'll get each month when you subscribe to The Stand magazine. 
we encourage you to get your free six-month subscription. Just visit afa.net slash the stand. If you have any questions or comments about what you've heard today, just email us at thestand at afa.net. And podcasts of this program are available at afr.net slash podcasts. Until next time, I'm Jeff Shambly. Thanks for listening.